Welcome to the One City Church Podcast. In this episode, we'll take a deeper dive into this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. Hey everyone, this is Karen Conley, and I would like to tell you we're in a studio. We're in a classroom, um, my husband and I, and we are recording this conversation. It's considered episode four of the One City Podcast, and really the purpose is we want to come in after each Sunday message and just maybe have a conversation that will help you take the truths of God's Word and apply them in a deeper way. Um, so many times we hear things and we listen, but we don't obey, um, or we we have questions that just linger. And so that's the purpose of this particular podcast. And so, Chris, this message was called Invitation to Joy. And for crying out loud, everybody needs more joy. You were based out of John 15, verses 6 through 11. Maybe just if people haven't listened, go back to the last podcast and listen to the full sermon. But just as a quick reminder, maybe recap the kind of the the main theme of your message from Sunday. Yeah, so it's very important to understand the context in order to know the truth and be able to apply that truth. And so the context here, Jesus is saying he's the true vine, we're the branches, the Father's the vine dresser. And what we've talked about is that there's this word picture that he's playing off of that's a vineyard and how that you know vineyard uh, plants the, the, the grapes and, and from planting to harvest, it's three years. And then from the harvest of the grapes to a bottle of wine, it's two years. It is a five-year process of abiding, okay? And, and as we talk about just the invitation to this message, uh, as we talk about the title of this message, Invitation to Joy, uh, how can we look at the abiding relationship from the context of joy? So as we think about that, you've used the illustration of the vineyard the last two weeks. And every time you say five-year process, I think that's forever. So what does that mean? That's, I mean, that's obviously, it's the analogy. It's not literal. I'm a literal person. You are the most literal human being I've ever met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for those literal listeners, if you're thinking the same thing, like, does that mean that abiding and seeing fruit really takes that long? Uh, for Karen Conley, it does. <laughs> no, no, it's, um, you know, throughout that process, there's, um, you're bearing fruit, you're bearing more fruit, and in the process, the goal obviously is to bear much fruit. Throughout that process is where pruning occurs, and that pruning is really a thinning, a cutting away, designed to increase fruit. And then as we see throughout that five years as well, the the goal is joy. Now, of course, again, we're not talking five years in a literal way, but in order to kind of put that into this word picture, uh, the fruit is occurring throughout the process because you are connected to the true vine. Well, and even as you say that, it makes me think, you know, for some of you right now that maybe you're going through a pruning process. Um it is a lot of times for me, if I'm able to step back and look over a greater period of time, not just look at today, not just look at the pruning, but look back and go, okay, wait a minute. 
I, yeah, for a long time, there was nothing above the ground, but there has been some things that have broken through the ground. I do see some progress in that, and that maybe, like you said, that, that there is fruit, and then more fruit and much fruit, but just to be patient with the process. Right, because after 25 years of marriage, you're less literal than you were 25 <laughs> years ago, and I'm, 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 you know, every now and then we find some of that figurative language in you, and we, we, we bridge that gap, so there's, there's progress in the fruit-bearing process process all the time. That's awesome. Okay. (laughs) So one of the things that you said this past week was faithfulness depends upon connectedness. Yes. Help us to know what that looks like on a daily basis. Okay. So when when we talk about being connected, there's connection to God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then there's also connection to God's people. It's connection to the family of God, connection to your friends. And in that connection, that is maybe the most underappreciated, undertaught spiritual discipline in all of spiritual disciplines. Um, I, I can't begin to tell you how many books I've read on spiritual disciplines, and I don't know that I've ever seen one when there's 10 chapters, 12 chapters, where a chapter list friendship as a spiritual discipline, but yet I think it might be the most important one that if you actually are connected to friends who are connected to God, they're going to help you be connected to God. Mm, I do love that. And obviously with us having two children in college, we've seen it in the, in the childhood years and in the teenage years of how, you know, we talk about your five closest friends, you know, the composite of your five closest friends will, will tell you who you are. And so the people you surround yourself with is so important, but that is just as important to us as adults. Well, and, and let's even use that picture that you just gave of our kids being in college. So, you know, for 18 years, they're connected to us as parents, and they're in the context of our family, and then they're in the context of friends that, you know, really in many ways are associated with our family. And so there's a certain abiding that occurs in that regard. But then when they go to college, you know, they're less connected to us as parents, just because of the proximity of, you know, geographics and ge- the, the <laughs> I can't even speak here, mm-hmm. you know, like one of them being in South Carolina and one of them being in Alabama and, mm-hmm. and the proximity of just time and space and busyness and all of that kind of stuff. But then there's also the sense that it's easier to get disconnected from God. It's easier to get disconnected when you are looking for a new group of friends, because one of the things that's so important in abiding is that sense of belonging. And, and, and here's where we often make a mistake in the world of Christianity. People think that we believe first, we behave second, we belong third. Really, the truth is we belong first, we believe second, and we behave third. That once we belong to God, we begin to believe more about who he is and what he teaches us, and then we belong to God and, and we believe more, and then we begin to behave more consistent with who we hang out with, which is God and God's people, one another. Well, I know, and obviously we sit down and we have this conversation and don't really know where it's going to go, and I wouldn't have expected this would be where it would go. But I, Isn't that consistent with our relationship? Absolutely. <laughs> we, he, he said my life would be interesting if I married him, and he was right. Um, <laughs> 
But as, but you're always asking for a plan. I am. Like every day she wants a plan. I do like a plan. Plans are good. And um, right now she doesn't necessarily like it when the plan is spontaneity in this moment. But but I had a point. I yes, had a point yes. that I was going to ask you. Um, in this um, whole context of... You know, right now we're in the middle of COVID, and so there's been more isolation, and people have been, you know, more disconnected from people than connected. And then, then sometimes you'll hear people of, "Wow, we've had such valuable family time, and we have been more connected as a family." And so the spectrum of where people are um, is huge; it's very broad. But as we think about this, speak to to the importance for an adult with a successful career, with life functioning, who says, I don't have time to build relationships. I don't have time for people outside my family. I get that. I've felt that at different times. But why is it so important to understand this value of friendship in terms of their spiritual growth? Because in in many regards, Jesus said, follow me. And he didn't say, follow me to the classroom. He just said, follow me. And when you follow him, you're spending time with him. And when you're spending time with him, things are more caught than they are taught. And, and, and then we see also throughout the pages of Scripture, you know, that, that the Scripture tells us that we are to, you know, he's, Paul, I think it's Paul that says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That, that there's an imitation that occurs that is both uh, somewhat intentional, but there's also an imitation that occurs that's kind of just caught when you spend time with one another. So in that way, um, you know, we, we've also talked about you reap what you sow. Well, when you're sowing time with God and God's people, then you're going to reap those qualities in your life. You're going to reap those character traits in your life. You're going to reap what it means to uh, to love like He loves, you know, and to uh, you know serve like He serves, and and to you know invest in people the way that He invests in people. And so, busyness is the enemy of intimacy. And so when we are, and all of us, I mean, all of us could choose to be busyness 24-7. But if we don't, uh, you know, uh, invest our time in the most important places, then uh, we lose the margin in our life. And when we lose the margin in our life, we lose the relationships in our life. We lose a relationship with God that typically, you know, gets kicked out pretty, pretty fast. And then we lose the relationship with one another when that margin disappears. I think, you know, as, as there's other things that we want to continue this, this conversation about, but I think the word that really keeps coming to my mind as we're sitting here talking is intentional. We have to be people who are intentional, not accidental, in our abiding with God and in our abiding with the body of Christ. Because, you know, we don't, none of us have the extra time. So we do need to say, okay, if I have time to, if I only have two hours a week to spend with somebody outside of my family, who am I going to spend that time with? Sometimes that is giving to somebody else who needs somebody in their life to pour into them, but it can't always be that. There has to also be that give and take, that there are intentional friendships of people who believe. And I think in our own journey, you know, for the last two years, 
it was people who were were encouraging us. And there'll be days for all of us that we're struggling and we need to borrow someone else's faith. And that helps us when we're abiding with others to borrow their faith. Well, and when one's walking through the valley or walking through a wilderness experience, it's when you need your friends the most. It's when you don't need that solo effort. You already feel like you're in isolation. You already feel like you're alone. And so uh, now we value friendship at every moment and we need it at every moment when we're climbing the mountain and no one wants to celebrate alone either. When you climb and you, you know, hit the peak and the pinnacle and you're on top of the mountain, then it's very lonely if there's no one to celebrate with and there's really not much of a celebration if there's no one to celebrate with. If, if you climb the ladder and you step on everyone on everyone on the way on top of the ladder, then that's a, it's a miserable place to be on top by yourself. But I would just encourage people to say that especially when people are in the valley, when people are in the wilderness, that's why some of our signature signature truths on friendship say, restore one another in a spirit of gentleness, carry one another's burdens. So I, I hope um, if you haven't checked out our signature truths, I hope you will do that. Um, OneCityMemphis.org, I think reverse slash signature truths, we have 10 of them. And friendship is something that we really value. It's going to be something that we continue to talk about at One City. But as we move along in this message and in John chapter 15, as we talk about such a famous verse um, and one that you elaborated on in the message, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So obviously, hopefully people have listened to the message, but, but that is taken out of context so often. And it has been something that has maybe dissuaded people because I asked whatever I wished and then I didn't get it. Is God really good? Is God really there? Is that really true? Or is that just wealth, health, and prosperity? So give some context and help us to, to, to take that truth in a, in a deeper way than we were able to on Sunday. Right. So when, when you look at this, you know, what we did is we talked about the principle that your abiding determines your asking. So it's not name it and claim it. It's not a formula. You know, one of the things that I said on Sunday is that if it were a formula, I promise you, we would have figured it out by, by now in that, you know, I would have completely different cir- circumstances. You know, you would have done the same. All of us would have figured out the formula. But it is a promise. Now, that's the important part. It's not a formula, but it is a promise. And so what we talked about is we wanted each person to prayerfully, you know, in this abiding relationship and allowing the abiding to determine your asking, because the more you abide, God changes your desires to be in agreement with his desires. And when you desire what he desires, he desires nothing more than to give you the desires of his own heart. All right. Now that's a tongue twister, but it's true. Okay. And so here's what we want to do is in this, ask whatever you wish, from the context of an abiding relationship, and it will be done with you. Well, what are three kingdom desires? What are three things that if, if, if God were to answer this prayer, the king of the kingdom would be glorified and the kingdom would be advanced? What are three things? And the example I gave was that I want both of our children, Mark and Annika, to be fully restored to the Lord. 
Number two, there's a little girl named Hadley in our church that had a brain injury. And I want to see Hadley fully healed. I want to see Hadley be just like any other little girl that can be full of life, dancing, and just God use her in extraordinary ways. Um, There's two women in the life of our church battling cancer and want to see those two women healed completely of cancer. So the third one was I want to see the Holy Spirit fall fully on our church. You know, the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit fall upon our church. Now, I believe those three kingdom wishes have come from an abiding relationship. And now I need to enter into the process of asking, seeking, and knocking for those three kingdom wishes. And even, you know, as we do that, there's a persistence that is uh, that God asks for us in that process. It's not just to ask, seek, and knock once. It's not just twice. But it is for us to be persistent in that asking, seeking, and knocking. Well, and I hope that you would, um, as you're listening to this, I know for me, it is so easy for me to accidentally focus my prayers on me and our family and our little circle. And so I think in that challenge to really think through what are three kingdom-minded wishes, um, what if we truly did think beyond just ourselves and our immediate family and begin to be intentional to pray those prayers on a regular basis, not just this week, but just to say, okay, Lord, let my prayer life grow so that I'm not just coming in, giving you all my needs and all my worries, and then saying amen and heading on my way. Well, and and the other part of that is journal your prayer life. And when you pray, pray specifics, not generics, because we, if we don't pray specifically, then how will we know that God really answered our prayer? And, and so what I really want to encourage you to do, and, and we asked everyone to do this on Sunday, and, and if you're listening, regardless of where you go to church, you can do this, uh, text the number, uh, text, text the word one city, one city to 94,000. And, and it'll opt you into kind of, you know, receiving updates. But what you can do then is you can text, here's my three kingdom wishes. And what we want to do is over the next three and a half months, as a church and as a prayer team, we want to pray, we want to ask, seek, and knock in, on your behalf for those uh, three kingdom wishes. And we want to begin to document what God has done. Now, since... Uh, Sunday, we have already heard two significant uh, answered prayers of those kingdom wishes. And, and, and I'll wait to another day and let those people share uh, those answers and those prayers, because, uh, those praises, because they're their stories, and I want them to have the joy of sharing that. But, um, but if you'll write them down, if you'll keep them in front of you, if you'll journal uh, you'll be amazed at what you see God do over the next couple months praying these kingdom prayers. So let me um, back to back. We just read verse seven, but I want to have it in the context of verse eight before I ask you this next question. It says again in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the fact that our Father is glorified 
by us abiding and asking and then him answering. Why don't, why do we have so much trouble with that? Why is that something that we don't necessarily understand that, that he wants to be glorified and that we have the opportunity to be vessels that bear much fruit? You know, sometimes when we look at a verse like this, I like to look at it from the perspective of the opposite, okay? You know, all right, he tells us here he is glorified when we bear much fruit. Well, if you just kind of flip that around, well, of course. I mean, he's not glorified when we don't bear fruit. You know, he's not glorified when we actually, you know, bear the deeds of the flesh. And, and you know, as a loving father, uh, you know, he wants us to not only bear fruit— and then more fruit and much fruit. He wants to give us his best. One of the things that you'll always hear me teach is there's three things that you can always know to be true about God. Only God knows what's best. Only God wants what's best. Only God gives what's best. And so it's kind of one of those Captain Obvious type statements when you really look at it that Absolutely, he is more glorified when we bear more fruit that reflects who he is. See that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control glorifies him. Now, here's a fascinating thing, and, 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 and I'm not sure I really had this thought very much until maybe it just popped in my mind in this moment. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so even self-control doesn't have to be striving. It can be a gift given to you to have self-control, to make wise decisions, and to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Even that is a gift. It doesn't have to be a solo effort. It doesn't have to be in your own strength. So as we wrap up this time together, um, this message was an invitation to joy. Yes. And so we think about that contrast of striving versus his joy being made full in us. If you could sit down with everybody that was, was here with us and everybody that's listening, what would be your insight or wisdom um, from God's word on how we can actually experience that joy, mm -hmm. move out of the striving, move out. We talked a lot about the anxiety and pressure and panic attacks and just the way that our culture is struggling at all times, but feels much more um, in our face right now. So talk about that difference between striving and joy. So as we think about that, that comes from verse 11. Verse 11 says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So where does Jesus' joy come from? It comes from his abiding relationship with his Father. And so as he abides in the Father, in that relationship, in the will of God, consistent with the ways of God, there was more joy. He has more joy. He says, you know, in, in, in throughout the Scripture that, that, you know, that it was his will, it was his you know, what to, to do all things to please the Father, okay? And so as we see that um, Jesus wasn't striving in his relationship, he wasn't striving in his abiding with the Father. He enjoyed being the Son of God. 
even though in his 33 and a half years on earth, there were difficult moments in the, 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 the moments that were the most difficult, he still was connected to the father. He was still depending upon the father. He was still um, receiving the love in, in, in the guidance and in the nurture and, and the strength and the courage from the father. So it's important for us to look and go, well, when was Jesus striving? You know, I don't really see pictures, even though I see pressure and I see, you know, uh, uh, circumstances that could cause incredible stress and incredible anxiety. I don't see him responding to the pressure with stress and anxiety. I see him remaining peaceful in the midst of the pressure. And so that's where we talk about that, you know, that peace uh, is, is not, you know, a problem or a set of, I'm, excuse me, that peace is a person, all right? It's not, uh, it doesn't come from a set of circumstances working in our behalf. Peace is a person. Uh, peace isn't the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of the person of God, all right? Well, I just hope for each and every one of us that that verse, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full, will really begin to be something that we focus on. That is God's heart towards us. He desires for his joy to be in you. And so it is the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It is the enemy that wants us to strive. And even as you give that illustration of Jesus, I'm just sitting here thinking through, and I'm like, you know, the only time I can think of off the top of my head where we saw him with anxiety was in the garden. And that was because he knew he was going to be disconnected momentarily from his father, that his father was going to have to turn his eyes from him at the cross. That was it. And that is never something we will have to experience. He's never going to turn his eyes from us. That was paid in full at the cross. And so for us, that we can find that joy, it is meant to be there for us at every single moment. And because... In the garden, when he says, not my will, but thy will be done, all right? And, and because he took the cup, the cup didn't pass from him. And because he paid the price for our sin, and because he was resurrected, we now have authority over discouragement and depression. We now have authority over stress and anxiety. And we can now replace, you know, what many people experience as a panic attack, we can replace that with peace, the peace of Jesus, the peace of abiding, the peace that comes through the fruits of the spirit of abiding in that relationship. And so I do want to encourage you that if you do struggle you know, with whatever variation of discouragement or, or, you know, even being uh, pessimistic instead of optimistic, you know, whatever level that struggle is, take authority over, over it and say, God, I want to apply this replacement principle. If, if I've got some type of pressure, replace it with peace. If I've got some type of hurt, replace it with healing. And if I've got some type of discouragement, replace it with encouragement. And then I want you to just pray, God, fill me with your joy. Because the more joy that you're filled with, the more those things leave. Because joy and stress and pressure and anxiety and all those things, they cannot coexist. Joy will drive those out. And joy will be the thing that causes you to live in the fullness of Christ.
Well, I hope this has been a helpful conversation for you. Please join us next week. If this has been helpful, we'd love for you to leave a review um, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. But more important than anything, our prayer for you, no matter where you are, is that God's joy and his peace may be made full in you this week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in Proving Love Works, you have the opportunity to give at onecitymemphis.org and click on the Give button.